All right, Christ Community Church, this morning we will be in Proverbs 10, 19, 15, 4, and 25, 11. And we will learn from, the, from God's Word what it, what it means to, to be able to speak wisely, to grow in the use of words uh, for the life of the world. And so uh, as we approach these texts this morning, let me tell you the key truth that, that we want to walk away with, that God's wisdom helps us to carefully choose our words and rightly apply them for His glory and the listener's nourishment and healing. Let me say that again. God's wisdom helps us to carefully choose our words and rightly apply them for His glory and the listener's nourishment and healing. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's Word, this is Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. This is Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And then Proverbs 25, 11 reads this way. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we step into this, just as we've been doing throughout this uh, aspect of our Proverbs series that is topical, we want to make sure we look at how does Jesus do what we're looking at. And so our first question this morning is, how did Jesus evidence wisdom in his use of words? Notice how he always spoke in a glorifying manner of God the Father. Even when he was struggling in Gethsemane, where he was wrestling with uh, his desire to, to, to have something different potentially happen, that, that salvation could potentially come some other way. He, even in that moment, was, was so careful to honor the Lord. Even when he was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting from the Psalms. He was using the Psalm that would... would those who would have known those words would have known how it resolves and what it goes on into, and, and that God ultimately is good even in the midst of our doubts and our questions. So Jesus teaches us to speak wisely to and about God, and that we be careful with the words that we choose in, in terms of uh, speaking of God the Father. He even calls for us to be very careful in how we speak of God the, the Holy Spirit, that we would be careful not to um, uh, impugn anything to him that would, would be evil, that would actually be of the kingdom of darkness. And so there's a carefulness with which Jesus teaches us that we must be careful of how we speak of all the members of the Trinity. Notice, too, how he was so careful to choose his words in different circumstances with whomever he was dealing with. Uh, there were times that he could be very confrontational and sharp with the religious leaders. And, and, and you may say, that, that's, uh, that's me. I like doing that all the time. But Jesus didn't do it all the time. So one of the things that we learn about Jesus is he was able to speak the right word in, in the right circumstance so that it would have the right impact on the hearer. Even when he was confronting calling them brood of vipers or whatever it was, uh, whitewashed tombs. He was calling them essentially not, not to condemnation. He was calling them to repentance and relationship with him. Even in the sharpness of his words, they still had the edifying 
uh, desire for relationship, had the edifying desire to see that person transformed in the power of the gospel. Notice how tender he was in other moments. Uh, when, when, when the woman at the well that we've talked about previously is, is ashamed and trying to cover things up, Jesus reveals exactly what's going on in her life and in her heart, but does so in such a way that she is not, not pushed away from him, but actually he says it's in such a tender way that she's drawn toward him. And so much so that she wanted other people to come hear him. The tenderness that he has with the father who's anguished over his son, who's being destroyed by an epileptic spirit, who expresses doubt. Uh, the, the tenderness with which he engages uh, the, the Canaanite widow who's, who's, whose daughter um, needs healing and who makes it clear to him that, that even the dogs get to eat of the crumbs from the table. And Jesus just marvels. Notice that he longed for the children to come to him for him to deal with tenderly. And so we, we need to learn there's not one mode of communication that, that our giftings, abilities, and preferences are not what are to dictate our communication, but instead what we learn from Jesus is that we, we, we have to have different modes of biblical communication, but all with the same goal in mind, the nourishment and healing of the hearer, even if it's the call to repentance and a, and a sharp word or a strong word Rebuke, reproof is needed. And so uh, if you would hear this quote from Raymond Ortland as he uh, makes the argument that us having the capacity to communicate in words in the way that we do is one of the unique ways in which we bear God's image. And one of the unique ways in which he has gifted us, crowned us with a particular honor and glory that no other aspect of creation has to the extent that we do. Listen to what he says. He says, words mark us as human. In the image of God, like God, we use words to create trust and form relationships and build community. But unlike God, we use words to destroy trust and break relationships and divide community. Like God, we use words for one heart to touch another heart at a deep level. But unlike God, we use words for one heart to break another at a deep level. Our words matter. In conversations, and emails, and texts, and blogs, and phone calls, and all the rest. So what we need to recognize is that in addition to listening being a critical aspect of our discipleship, you can't be a disciple if you don't listen. You can't serve and love your neighbor if you don't listen. You, you can't grow and mature in God if you don't listen. In the same way, speaking is equally important. In fact, we have to be more careful with it. James, as he warns, be slow to speak because so often anger is tied to the way in which we speak and, and the rapid nature in which we think we must speak, and we are to be quick to listen. But just being slow to speak doesn't make it less important than listening. It, it, in fact, it, it's more important because speaking is how we actually share the gospel. The gospel can't be intuited from our behavior or creation or other things, thus the need for special revelation, God's word. And so we have to handle it with such care as great stewards that have been entrusted with these words. The Word of God is a great talent. And then our own words to be able to contextualize, to be able to empathize, to be able to engage with those around us. It is absolutely critical that we recognize the great responsibility that we've been given in and through our words. In fact, the book of Proverbs speaks on speaking 
more than anything else. It was actually quite difficult to decide which three verses do we look at. Speaking shows up a lot throughout the New Testament as well. And so as we step into this text, we need to recognize that this, this really is the beginning of a conversation on conversations, on speaking, on words. And so uh, it's something that we need to delve into and think about deeply as we are a people of the word, an expressive people in God's image. So as we turn to Proverbs 10, 19, we're going to see how the wise are called to choose words carefully. Listen again at what it says. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Let me pause here. So often uh, we, we use a multitude of words for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, usually it is because we're anxious, right? We're, we're trying to get some point across, which means we probably haven't thought well about what words we should choose and use to communicate something with clarity and simplicity. And usually words are many when we're angry. We use a, a flood of words. So neither anxiety nor anger Frustration or doubt, those are not circumstances in which we are communicating in a godly fashion. Notice how patient God is with His words. How there would be long seasons in which He would not say anything new. The people of God had had been given His words in the form of of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. There would be long stretches before He had other things to say or add to that for a variety of reasons. He was patient to do the things that he did. He was patient to speak. He's been patient with us in so many ways. And so if we want to reflect the image of God, we want to make sure that our our communication is not uh, formed and and based on anxiety and fear or anger and frustration. This is when words are many. And oftentimes, it's also the place where we're trying to manipulate or get something for ourselves out of selfish ambition uh, and, and, and this is Satan's technique. Throws a lot of words in there, and some of, and some of them are true. And you got to really keep up to see where he has nuanced something just enough to rob it of God's glory. And so we want to be careful that we don't, in a flood of words in any given circumstance, use that flood or, or those many words to manipulate someone else, uh, or to overwhelm someone else. Um, and, and to, to uh, engage in a selfish ambition. And so when, when it says that words are many, transgression is not lacking, that should signal to us the necessity for, for great care, uh, for careful stewardship of the words that we've been given, and to recognize that when we do speak, it, it is wise for us to have considered well what we're going to say for the purpose of clarity and, and, and simplicity for the hearer. And notice it goes on. And whoever, uh, and whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Now, let me say, this is not a, a call to silence. Some of you may say, well, the safest thing to do is not say anything. Yeah, but think about that. Who's that really about? If your concern is the safest thing, that's a selfish ambition. That's you wanting to protect you and not do the hard work of restraining yourself and taking the time to prayerfully consider the words that need to be fit for the occasion, for the edification, nourishment, and healing of the individual that you're speaking to. Um, It's very important that we recognize that that silence is is not always what's called for. There are times where we should fall silent. Job is a wonderful example. 
His friends did a great job of staying silent for a week, but then they couldn't contain themselves and, and like volcanoes just started spewing their, um, their theology, their, their wayward theology all over the place and, and deeply wounded Job. When Job needed to wrestle with something different than their argumentation and their need for everything to, to line up nice and neat, they should have been ministering to the hurt of his soul and the loss in his family. Instead, they, they wanted to hash out theological arguments ad nauseum. In fact, it's one of the, if you read the book of Job and you don't come away feeling a bit exhausted, you haven't read it rightly. Um, and so we, we want to recognize that, that restraint is a gift. Because we are eternal beings, we don't have to be in an insane hurry. Now, there is an unction and, it, and an urgency that we must walk through the world with, but not an anxious and angry one. The, the unction and urgency is love for our neighbors because we want them to join the family of God. That we would, we would actually show restraint because of our genuine, urgent care for their souls, their hearts, and their lives. And so uh, the wise person knows how to restrain their lips and be prudent. Notice even Jesus does this. There's an occasion in which he says, there's many things that I have to say to you but I can't say them to you now. You, you're not ready to hear these things. And so even he shows that there's a necessity for restraint and prudence in given circumstances and situations. So listen, this, I love this, this quote from Charles Bridges. He says, The government of the tongue is therefore a searching test of the soundness of our religion. That, that statement right there, we, we should sit in that. We should take time to meditate on what that means and how we, what is our philosophy of the ministry of our mouths? James, uh, as we read in the Assurance of Pardon, calls for us to be careful, very careful because of the great damage that our mouths can do, the deconstruction and the undoing of, of that which is created in good is, and we've seen it. How many of you have been deeply wounded by the words of another? How many of you are, are, are distrusting of someone, a fast talker, someone who, who uh, has to explain and explain and explain and keeps going and in a flood of words is just trying to overwhelm you to the point that you're like, okay, okay, you can, you can have or do whatever you want. And so we, we need to recognize this power and we need to be proactive and intentional about working out, like I said, a philosophy of ministry of our mouths. Listen to what he says further. He says um, that uh, since the sin is linked to many words, it is surely wise to hold our tongue, not in silence, but in caution, to weigh our words before uttering them, never speaking except when we have something to say, speaking only just enough, considering the time, the persons, and the circumstances. Now you may say, this sounds exhausting, right? And yes, it takes work, especially uh, when, when we, we may be guilty of not having really thought about it much and not really practice it much. It's, it's something we can grow in. Why? Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're in union with Christ. We're being formed into His image, who had a philosophy of, of His mouth that uh, was, was very important, that He was so careful with, that He was not quick to speak. In fact, He actually warns us in Matthew 12, 33-37, that, that we will be uh, in, 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 in some measure, judged by the words we have spoken. And we can't be careless with those. 
Uh, as one who speaks for a living, this is, this is something I, I, I'm thinking more and more and more about and, and wish somebody had explained it to me sooner. I wish there had been a class in seminary on listening and speaking uh, like Jesus. And you can't have a class on everything and, and can't be in seminary forever. So uh, the Lord is gracious to make sure it has it's come up and it's coming up for us as a church. And so um, this is something we want to grow in. So think about this for a second. What's often been the result of you saying too much? Or in your experience of being dealing with somebody who just talks too much? And it's just either blather or... Uh, it's just nonsense, or you, it makes you distrusting. How can you, can you trust this person? Because they're saying so much, they don't seem to be weighing what they're saying. And then, and then for yourself, what, what's happened when you've done that? Has it ever led to a, a deeper relationship? Would you ever say that talking too much actually helps to edify anybody around you, or build anybody up, or draw anybody closer to you? If anything, it pushes people away. Trust me. Um, it, it pushes people away. And then what most often motivates you to say too much? Are you anxious? Are you afraid people don't really listen to you or care what you think? Are, are, are you angry? Are you frustrated? Um, are, you, are, are you trying to exert some sort of dominance? Are you trying to prove yourself? These are worthwhile things to examine and to repent of. Again, I have wrestled with all those things. Uh, at times, just feeling like I have, I have to get a word in edgewise um, or trying to explain something uh, because I haven't weighed the words. I haven't really thought about it. And I'm, it's a hot take and I'm actually embarrassed by it. And I'm trying to talk my way to the point that maybe something good comes out. That has never happened, by the way. Um, and even more important is this question. What, what helps you to show restraint in speaking? What's helping you to cultivate a philosophy of ministry of your mouth? If you answer nothing, that's, that, that's a good confession to, to get out of the way, but recognize that's not the final confession. That you can, because you are in Christ, cultivate this in the power of the Spirit using the Proverbs. It would be a wonderful thing to take and just study what are all the Proverbs on speaking? What are all the passages in the New Testament about speaking and the mouth, the tongue, uh, and to cultivate a biblical framework, banks of the river for yourself in this regard. All right, let's turn back to the text and look at 15.4, and then we'll look at 25.11 and see how the wise choose healing words for the appropriate context. So it's not just that, that we show restraint, but we also care about the actual content itself. Notice what 15.4 says, a gentle tongue. Let's just pause right there. Remember, gentleness is, is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit which evidences that we love the person we're talking to. And a gentle tongue is not anxious. It's not angry. It's patient. It's kind. It has the, the capacity uh, to communicate in such a way that is comforting and helpful to the listener. But notice it's a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now, remember what the tree of life is about in Genesis Three, we know that those who would eat of the tree of life would have life everlasting. So what that tells us in one part is that our mouths ought to be agents of, of life, that it would help make life more abundant for our friends and neighbors, that, that it would help make life more abundant for us. 
Revelation uh, in chapter 2 and then in 22, in several places, it speaks of the, of the tree of life being a good thing for us to partake of. And it actually talks about that it's, it's always in season, which means it's, it's, it's always the right thing at the right time. And it is for the healing of the nations. So it's both nourishing and healing. So what that tells us is that our mouths ought to reflect the fruit of the Spirit and that they would, the words that we say would actually be nourishing and healing to those we are speaking to. And this way, our mouths would be reflective of, of, of being a tree of life. Um, in fact, it would be worth our time to flip over to Ephesians 4.29 and just hear one of the admonitions from Paul in the New Testament. We'll actually look at Colossians as well here in just a moment. But Ephesians 4.29 um, makes, makes it clear that uh, our mouths are an important aspect of who and whose we are in the ministry to which we have been called. Listen at this, Ephesians 4.29. It reads, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice that that should be the philosophy of the ministry of our mouths, that what we say would be equivalent to what's provided by the, the fruit that comes from the tree of life, that it would nourish and heal, that it would upbuild to use his language here, and that it would give grace. Now, that grace is a particular biblical term. So that means when we're speaking to someone that we actually are offering them greater than what they deserve. We're offering them words that they don't even deserve. Now think about that for a second. If that was a philosophy of the ministry of your mouth, that you were concerned that your words would actually bless people with grace they don't deserve like God has done for us, like Christ has done for us, like the Holy Spirit continues to do for us. Listen to what he has to say in Colossians. As we turn over there, this is Colossians chapter 3 verses 13 through 18, um, and, and what a gift this is. Um, no, so I'm sorry, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. He says, walk in wisdom, there's that word, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, who are outsiders? Anyone who's outside the kingdom, an unbeliever. So we need to walk in wisdom toward them, and notice the qualification. Making the best use of the time, let your speech always, when? Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we have a, a definitive responsibility in our sanctification in the process of our own discipleship to proactively cultivate the words that we use, to be considerate of the words we speak. You cannot hide behind, uh, as I have often tried to do, this is just the way I am. You cannot hide behind, well, if they can't handle what's true, that's their problem. That is not their responsibility, actually. The words that come from your mouth are your responsibility. It doesn't matter what they've done. It matters what you do. It's all you can take responsibility for. Again, remember, it's not to say that there's not a season for challenge or rebuke or reproof or even a hard word. But it should always be for a purpose and considered for that purpose and prayerfully considered for that purpose, not just uttered in quickness. And do remember that when we say, 
Things like, and I've said this too many times, well, that's just the truth. Uh, that's true maybe if you were speaking a Bible verse in a gracious way, but rarely is that what we're doing. It's actually our opinion, which, remember, is not a fact. It's a perspective that's, that's actually influenced by memory and our baggage and, and our life experience and all kind of stuff that we, and even more importantly, that we see through a glass darkly. So we should be more careful to speak in humility, recognizing that what people need to see is your words come from a heart that loves them, even in their sin, even in their foolish thinking, even in their brokenness, even in their offense to you. Notice how Jesus handled offense. Notice how kind and gracious he was even to the Pharisees when he had hard words for them. He never cast them out of his presence. In fact, he made sure they were always around. He didn't try to avoid them, right? He didn't try to avoid the hard conversations with them. No, he put himself in a position to hear them, to hear the real cry of their heart, their fear and their anxiety and their idolatry. He spoke to that so that they could be redeemed. Is that us? Is that what we desire to do when we speak? We need to be careful. Again, we can be insanely condescending and come off as insanely sanctimonious to those around us, and that, that never draws people to us. It just doesn't. And see, too often, we don't ask. We don't ask of those around us, do, do I have a gentle tongue? Do you have the courage to ask that of your spouse, your children? your friends and neighbors, the pastors that serve you? Because if you say, no way I'm asking that question, you have, you have confessed in some measure that you know something's not right and you're not willing to deal with it, which James says, when you know to do good and you don't, that is sin. And so we should long for it to be a tree of life because when it's not, notice what the verse says, the second half, but perverseness in it being the tongue breaks the spirit. Now, perverseness is not just sexual things. Perverseness is anything that is not true according to the Word of God. That means it has been perverted from truth. And so we recognize that anything that is not true according to God's Word only brings chaos and destruction. We heard this from James chapter 3. You see it all throughout Scripture. This is why nothing is neutral. Either it's true according to God's Word or it is perverse. It's really only two categories, and so we need to be careful to steward things well so that that's not who we are, that we don't break people with our words. Parents, please hear me here. Our words matter so much because as our children are going through the various phases of their life, they carry them at different weights and at different times. We need to be most careful of all as those children have been entrusted to us to steward as disciples. That's the next generation. We, church, need to be very careful how we speak to each other because you've got to understand that church unity was a major focus of the New Testament. Why? Well, because it was also fragile. And where it broke, the witness to the world broke. God's glory was, was sullied, but, but He is not mocked. It's, 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 it's temporary, right? And praise be to God that His glory is not, but woe be unto us for trying or not trying when we should. So we, we need to be careful. Spouses, some words that you speak, you cannot take back. You must be so careful with the words you throw at each other. 
And so we, we need to be a people who are good stewards of the, the various relationships. And notice how um, verse 25 gives us even a little more to think about. It's not just that our tongues need to be always gentle and a tree of life. Not that we just need to be careful with our words, but there's also the, the timing. Now, hear what it says. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That means they're incredibly valuable. They're nourishing. They're beautiful. They should bring beauty. Uh, they, should, they should, and again, even in rebuke. I, I can remember in particular an elder confronting me in, in the way that I talked to Devin. He was about nine or ten years old, and, and his words were hard, and they pierced me, but it was beautiful. God's Word, as, we, as I previously said, Ezekiel 34 in this past year was piercing uh, to me as a shepherd, but beautiful, beautiful in its possibilities and what it opens up. I, I've read some things recently in some of the Puritans, and they, they are able to kind of get at the heart in a way that, that, that others can't. I know the Puritans are a complex set of people in terms of many different things, but, but this William Perkins, who I'm referring to specifically, not one of those in the complex camp, but he makes it very clear that we are to Mortify, actively mortify sins great and small. And that fits so well with what I've been preaching through. And it's just, it's piercing. But it is beautiful. And it was, at the, it was in due season. So it's not to say that every, we have to talk nice all the time. Everything has to be clean. No, a gentle tongue sometimes gently says the hard thing that needs to be said, but in such a way that there's always room for repentance and grace and mercy. And so, we have to be careful to discern the time. So how would we ever discern the time if we see through a glass darkly and we are not yet completely glorified? What are we supposed to do? Well, this is where you learn how to pray without ceasing. You pray quick on your feet. You learn to, to seek to discern the moment and pick up on things, not just deliver the mail and say, well, it had to be said, it had to be done. I don't care the consequences. Now, you can't have that heart. That is actually like the fool who doesn't care to understand and only wants to express their opinion from last week. So please understand the, the gravity of the circumstance here. And these are just a few things that can help us, right? That, that we would remember that we are called to steward words carefully because they are a unique gift to us as God's crown jewel of creation. It is the way in which he has crowned us with honor and glory. That those words have the power of life and death in them in some measure. They either nourish and heal or they break and destroy. And then there's the, the timing itself that we, we need to have a more robust philosophy of our mouths in which we think through uh, these things and wrestle with and recognize you're going to get it wrong sometimes. You're never going to be perfect with your mouth, which is why there's so many warnings. So you need to remember to run to the mercy seat to receive the forgiveness that is already yours in Christ. You need to make sure that when you do mess up, you are quick to repent. You're quick to admit you were wrong with your word choice or your timing. Grow from it. Use it as opportunity. Be willing to ask other people how you do in this regard. Are you willing to put yourself in the dock in some measure? Because if you're not, you don't have enough objectivity to judge your own words. Just like with listening, I guarantee you, you, we all thought we were better at listening than we thought. And you asked, if you had the courage to ask somebody last week, you discovered you're not, you're not as good at it as you thought. You're going to find the same thing with speaking. 
You may really think, I'm really measured and good at this. I really think through my words. And somebody's going to say, yeah, but when you do speak, you're condescending. Or when you do speak, this is not the right time. Or when you do speak, I, I can't tell if you love me or not. It's all just facts and sterile. And so this is something we want to grow in as a church. And think about our current cultural moment and how words have been so abused. Hyperbole is run rampant. It has got us just anxious. All this apocalyptic language as if God were not sovereign or good or in control. Um, all of this hyperbole that's just, it's, it's, it's veiling what's really true and instead trying to keep us drawn in and sucked into a story that's temporary. Think about the, the, the fake news and all the lies being spewed about from every direction, the restructuring of different historical moments, the, 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 how we're changing language and meaning, which was the original post, um, postmodern project. We're seeing now the fruit of what began then back in the 60s, 70s, and then the 90s. And so we, we need to be a people who are careful because that'll give us a chance. We can stand out from all that. This is a way in which we serve as a city on a hill. This is a way in which we are salt and light. Listen to what Marilyn McIntyre says about this. Uh, her book is called Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies. I commend it to you. It's a series of essays. It's a brilliant discussion on, on words and language um, and would be helpful to you, but I love this. It's, it's very brief. She says, like prayer, good conversations fashion words into vessels that carry living water. Well said, simply said, and clear. Now, the question I have for you and for us is, do, you, do your words frequently nourish and heal in your various relationships and your spheres of influence? Again, like listening, it may vary from relationship to relationship but it's worth you taking stock. It's worth maybe you even asking the people you trust. And then more importantly, what actually helps you to carefully offer the right words at the right time? And if you can't think of anything, well, you've heard what could help you. Something has to be cultivated. You're gonna to have to probably break a sweat a little bit. You're probably gonna get it wrong sometimes. You, you gotta work through it. Be willing to grow, ask for some help. This is what discipleship and community is. And so as we come to the end of this particular sermon, Proverbs 10, 19, 15, 4, and 25, 11 teaches us that God's wisdom helps us to carefully choose our words and to rightly apply those words for His glory and the listener's nourishment and healing at the right time. Uh, what a gift it is that God has entrusted to us this great gift of language and words to be able to express uh, amazing things of beauty and sublimity and all of these ways in which uh, we, we are able to love each other in and through our words at a depth that actions uh, can't go. They don't go quite as far as words often can. They have to be supported. We have to be a word and deed people. Don't get me wrong. But we have such a, a, a wonderful array of ways in which to love and care for each other, to express ourselves. What a gift, this language, this, this way in which we can render our emotions and engage with the world. So let's be a church that takes seriously its use of words, that takes seriously the necessity to have a philosophy of ministry of our mouths, that takes seriously that words are the way in which we actually do what we were called to do, which is be ambassadors of reconciliation.
Let's pray. Father, thank you that you spoke first. And your words are creative. And your words are good. And your words are clear to us. God, where things uh, are more mysterious, the good news is they will be made clear someday. But it's, it's, it's our responsibility to, to do what we know is clear. And you have more than made that clear to us that we are called to love you and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. You've made it more than clear that you are sovereign and good. You've made it more than clear that Christ is king and rules over your kingdom of which we are its citizens. You've made it more than clear that we have been given a mission in the power of the Holy Spirit to welcome people, to beckon people into the family in and through the words that we use and the deeds that we express that back those words up. God, help us to be a people who are willing to humbly ask of one another, to humbly even express to one another when when our words fail to heal and nourish and to wrestle with, are they biblical? Help us to be a people who are patient with our words, who are patient with uh, the process of maturation and growing as you call for us to grow in wisdom in our speaking. May our words honor and glorify you and show our love for our neighbors as we love ourselves. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.